Colossians 3 is where we're turning this morning. Colossians 3 and verse 13. Looking at God's word, again, we've been studying in Colossians 3 for some while and recognizing the implications of what does it mean now to to believe in Christ, to to profess him as our Savior, as our Lord, to draw near to him, recognizing we've got nothing really to offer God, to commend ourselves to God. We need forgiveness. We need salvation. We need the deliverance that God alone can provide. We'll see in this verse a tremendous need that we have, uh, both to receive from God, but also to demonstrate or share with one another. Colossians 3 and verse 13. I'm going to read just a a brief passage so we can get right into the text this morning. Beginning at verse 12, I'll read uh, just a few verses here. So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. That's it. Enough said. We can do. That's pretty clear what we should do, what our responsibility is. We are God's own people. He purchased us to be his own possession. We are his by by purchase, not just a purchase of, of uh, you know, gold or silver or, or anything like that, or even the blood of bulls and goats. We haven't been sanctified or brought near to God, but through the blood of his own son. Christ Jesus himself died in our place so that we can have this statement, holy and beloved. What in the world? How, you know, we, we studied earlier in Colossians uh, 2 that we were enemies of God. We were at enmity, which is to say warfare, open conflict between God. God says us to do this he says for us to do this thing, and we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this thing over here. And both in our our mind, our attitude, but then in our works as well, by our behavior, we defied and denied God his, his right uh, ownership of our lives. He has purchased us through the blood of Christ, but he also made us. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if, if a thing that was made, this is Romans 9, if a thing that was made said back to his maker, why did you make me like this? Or to deny that he was not made in China or, or, you know, I made myself. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. Psalm 100 says we are not our own people. God made us. We're the sheep of his pasture. And so recognize God is the one who owns us both by creation and by redemption. We cannot just live our own lives. We cannot just live for our own pleasures, for our own lusts, for our own desires. We are set apart for God. We are the elect of God. We are holy, being made more holy, because as you're looking at me and I'm looking at you, we're not as holy as we ought to be. But we are beloved. We are greatly loved by God. And we rest in that fact. Because we have been loved, we can love other people, specifically by putting on a heart of compassion or a foundation, a a permeating influence in our lives of compassion, of thinking of other people as more important than ourselves, this humility idea, kindness, being useful, wanting to be a blessing to other people, being gentle, having strength, not being weak and and, uh, wimpish kind of thing, but having a strength that can be used for a purpose, kind of like uh, a big old diesel engine or something. The diesel engine by itself just is going to roll off the table kind of thing, but you want to use that strength to serve a purpose. You want to channel that power, that energy for a good purpose, that is to build up. And then we're patient. And this patience idea really goes into this next verse. Uh, how does our patience work? And how does that patience work with each other? Because we can endure circumstances, maybe, 
And you know, you're hoping for a sunny day and it's a rainy day. And you're hoping for a rainy day and it's a sunny day. Well, you can be patient. You know, and given enough time, the times will change or the weather will change. But patience, specifically in terms of interpersonal relationships, is what he gets into here in verse 13. Being patient, being long-suffering, being not have a... a, a a short fuse, if you've dealt with with uh, explosives at all, I've not at all. But a short fuse, as opposed to a long fuse, I just go. My my uh, explosive uh, education has come from Wiley e. Coyote, uh, you know the the old cartoons. That you want to have a long. It always worked out poorly for him, but always for the roadrunner was a good thing. I don't understand it, but having a long fuse, something that is is able to endure, able to, or in a in an automotive idea, having shocks, big old shock absorbers, as you go over the, the bumps of life, that you are riding smooth, because you're not perturbed, you're not easily offended, we're patient. This idea of bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. These are two approaches toward dealing with sin, because that's really what we're doc- talking about. I don't need patience to endure a good bowl of ice cream. Right. In fact, I wish that I would extend it longer. I wish that I could be enjoy it long. My grandmother, by the way, you're bringing me all kind of uh, reminiscings. But my grandma always enjoyed a an ice cream cone, whereas my grandpa liked just a bowl because get it and done. But my grandma liked to savor it, liked to enjoy it, liked to just. Uh, I mean, almost the the cone melted in her hands before the ice cream did, because it was just. Anyway, I belabor the point. Being patient, being kind, being uh, uh, being able to endure one another has to do with enduring things that are not so pleasant. Bearing with one another. When you give me a bowl of ice cream, I don't need to bear with you. I thank you. But when you give me something that I don't really like, maybe you didn't meet my expectations. Maybe you said something that, what? Maybe it was a lie, what you just said. Maybe it was a, a, a blurring of the truth. Maybe it was just contrary to what I was expecting. I need to bear with that, or I need to forgive. There are two approaches, what I'm getting at, two approaches to covering sin. One is overlooking it, just not even registering it, not recording that as a transgression or a trespass against us. We want to bear with one another. In fact, most of the time, that's how we interact with each other. We just put up with each other. We are not uh, ones who will uh, you know, fly off the handle at any any objection or any uh, a violation of our rights or our uh, our person that we we are patient enduring every possible difficulty which we think can't we just move on to the next verse this is we we get this but I'm not going to do this so let's just move on to the next thing well wait a minute verse 14 says above all these things put on love oh love how about something else how about truth can we just go for truth well wait a minute truth should have its result in love, love other people. So let's just stay here in this verse 13, because we'll get to love in, in next next verse. But what does love do? How can we do this by bearing with one another, uh, living in peace with one another? We want to be, as a parallel passage, Ephesians 4.32 says, well, that we should be kind to another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, not um, um, Again, easily offended or, or keeping a record of wrong suffered, forgiving one another. Why should we do this? Why should, don't you know what, how they wronged me? Don't you know? Wait a minute. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, or it says here in this verse, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, that's what you should do. Haven't you been forgiven of a whole lot? So can't you forgive other people? Can't you overlook their faults? Again, there are two ways to overlook or to, to cover sin. One is by overlooking it. 
First Peter 4 and verse 8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife. We don't want to have hatred stirring up strife and conflict, but love covers all transgressions. We want to cover these things over, not ignoring them, not dismissing them. Oh, that wasn't really a sin. No, that was that was wrong. That was what they did was wrong. But I'm not going to fuss about it. I'm not going to be to take an offense over it. You know, maybe they were having a bad day. We think the best of other people instead of immediately saying, well, they meant it for evil. Wait a minute. Even when it was confirmed, they meant it for evil. You know what I'm getting at? Genesis 50, when Joseph is talking to his brothers who wanted to sell him, wanted to kill him, but they sold him into slavery for years into a foreign land. Joseph said, you meant, I know you meant it for evil. There was no good intents in your, in your hearts, but God meant it for good. And that's what I trust in. I know God is, is righteous. I know God is faithful. And so I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be angry over you. God has dealt with me, my own pride, Joseph would say, my own uh, hubris or, or self-thinking. And now I realize I am an agent of God's redemption, of God's rescue. You know, you don't want to be a fool. A fool's anger is known at once. Well, why should you be angry? Well, I don't care why I'm angry. I'm just angry. Uh, a fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. If you've been slighted, if you've been overlooked for, you know, overlooked in a different sense, if you've been um, passed over for a promotion or a raise or or some honor, you're not going to let your anger be known at once. You're going to overlook that, uh, whatever kind of inconvenience that may cause you. Proverbs 19 and verse 10 similarly says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. Discretion, which means to say, thinking about things instead of just reacting, just saying the first thing that comes out of your mouth, that's usually not a good thing. Be careful. Your discretion makes you slow to anger. And notice this, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It's almost like we we edge each other out. I'm going to overlook it first. I'm not going to take offense at this. I I love you. I'm going to persevere in this. I'm going to endure. You're going to endure me. And it's going to be good. This is my glory to overlook a transgression. So generally speaking, when we bear with one another, when we endure or put up with each other, we are covering sin by just overlooking it, not taking it, not being offended, not uh, recognizing that they or or thinking that they mean evil toward me, that they had some mal intent or some evil intent, some malice. I mean, we already studied back in verse 8, was it, that we should put aside wrath and anger and malice and those things against one another. So I'm assuming the best about you. I hope you're doing the same about me, that I don't mean to do evil against you, but sometimes just, as, as it said in, in political speak, mistakes were made. I am sorry if you were offended. Wait a minute, are you confessing anything or are you just passing the buck to somebody else. I mean, mistakes were made by whom? What mistakes? When? Who did it? You know, kind of thing. No, God does not deal harshly with us. I mean, can you imagine if every time that you sinned, I mean, even in Christ, every time that you transgressed or trespassed God's law, that he would come bring the hammer down on you? He would deal harshly with you? He would just, okay, I'm you know, opening the book, throwing the book at you? No, God does not deal harshly with us every time we sin, and so we should be willing to treat others in a similar fashion. That is a quotation from a great book. Y'all ought to read it. Hopefully it's on our shelf. If it's not, it will be soon. By Ken Sandy, uh, The Peacemaker. Wow, tremendous book. I'll quote from him a couple other times as well.
This is the idea even of unconditional forgiveness. We'll talk about conditional forgiveness in just a moment. But we are choosing to lay aside somebody else's offense, just putting it to the side. We're not going to deal with that. They didn't mean anything evil by it. Yeah, it offended me. Yeah, it hurt me. Uh, Yeah, it's not true. But I'm going to set it aside unless there are certain criteria that we need to think about when we can't just cover sin in that way by ignoring it or by by setting it aside, overlooking it. We would want to do this, to, to bear with one another as much as possible, overlooking sins against us, transgression against us, just as God overlooks our sins. God himself, uh, or scripture says that we ought to imitate God, Ephesians 5 and verse 1, to imitate God, which you think, can we imitate somebody else because God is like perfect and holy and he never makes mistakes? Can we emulate somebody else? Well, Paul says, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, even imitating Paul, he's trying to imitate Christ, and Christ is, is God himself, and so we're not any, well, any better. And we're supposed to be made in Christ's image, renewed, right? Back in verse uh, um, 10, is it? We are renewed, being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we're being sanctified, set apart, made more like Christ. So I guess we better just buck up and endure, bear with one another. We should tend toward forbearance or just, you know, lots of big shock exorbers because we just, we cannot be offended at every possible uh, thing in our lives. If we are the only one, somebody is sinning against, you know, sinning, doing something bad. If we're the only victim of it, we can choose to overlook it. We can choose to forgive unilaterally. How do we know that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, it's kind of like that old thing. How do you know this? Well, Jesus said. Well, that's your interpretation. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. He said, I say to you, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you. This is Matthew 5, verse 44. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we pray for those who persecute us. We love our enemies. We are so willing to forgive. Jesus says, just as Jesus uh, has, has indicated, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no clue what it, what it means. When we choose to overlook or put up with each other, bear with one another, it means that we're not going to let this issue stand in the way of our relationship. We are not going to let this be something that, that fosters or, or foments uh, ill will toward each other. It's not going to be something we're going to talk about to other people. We're just, we're putting it away. Bury the hatchet, as the saying goes. We're not going to bring that uh, issue up against other people in the future. But there are some times, and the saying goes, Randy Patton, a former executive director of formerly known as the, new, the National Association of Genetic Counselors, NANC, uh, he said, we choose to overlook or cover sin, but sometimes sin kicks the co- covers off. You know, think of a blanket, you have a nice, you're covering the whole thing, but then there it is again. I, you know, I'm trying to overlook this thing, but this, this is a repeated pattern. Or this is something that if left unchecked or unconfronted, this is something that will cause damage or, or harm to the person committing it. This is not a good situation for them because if they're doing that to me, what are they doing to other people? That's not a good situation in their co-workers or their boss or their marriage or their, their children. If they're behaving that way to me, that's not a good way for them to behave. And I see other patterns. I see other, I see how that person is treating other people in their, in their uh, circle. 
So sometimes we need to confront it. If there's something you've tried overlooking it, but then it always comes back in your minds. Whenever you greet somebody, this this evil, this this offense, this nasty stuff comes back to your mind. Well, you've got to deal with it. You've got to speak to that person about it. If it is standing in the way of your relationship, if it is getting in in the way of your testimony before Lord, before God, before others, because Jesus himself said, John 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you bicker and fight with each other. Wait a minute. That's what the disciples were doing. Even in that context of John 13, well, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to wash your feet, Peter, you know, all that kind of Matthew, all these. No, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you're willing to lay down your life for somebody else, if you're willing to serve them, they don't deserve it, but neither do you. So you're in good company. It's fair. Can you not be offended? Can you be willing to work through these things? And if not, you've got to confront the issue. Not in a rude, harsh, heavy-handed kind of a thing, but confronting the issue because the, the safety, the best interest of my brother who's, who's offending me in this way and sinning, I need to serve him by confronting the issue. If, if somebody else could be hurt, I need to confront the issue. I need to go to that brother and say, you know, what, what you did to me is one thing, but what you're doing to this other person, I need to, I need to step in, brother or sister, whatever it is. I need to speak to you about the, these issues. If there is a potential, uh, blasphemy or a, a reason for condemnation of the church, the body of Christ, that somehow this brother is causing offense to other people outside the church, they're saying, you know, Hey, I understand you've got this guy in your church. Well, you know, this, that, and the other thing about him, he's a sinner that way. Then we need to protect the honor, the glory of Christ by confronting these sins. So how do we do that? Well, he says here that we should graciously forgive each other. Graciously forgive each other. Well, is that anything different than bearing with one another? Yes. Bearing with one another has to do with unconditional forgiveness, which is to say, I have a an enduring patient, long-suffering, just use patience twice, but uh, a way of interacting with you. And so, you know, I'm not letting this stand in the way of our relationship. I don't think there's much danger of of uh, uh, blasphemy against the church or people thinking less of the church, causing, well, how does Titus 2 say, that they'd give uh, no cause for, for alarm or for uh, finding fault with the church? He says it couple different ways, that you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. We want to do that kind of thing. If there's something that draws away from the glory of Christ in his church, then we need to we need to address that, which even comes to mind uh, at the practice of what is called church discipline. It's Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 17. If your brother sins, you go to him, just you, you and him alone, and seek to win your brother. In fact, if he's listened to you, if he's listened to your reproof and says, yeah, you're right, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for helping me see the speck that's in my eye. Uh, thank you for rescuing me, Galatians 6.1, uh, that we should go on a rescue mission for people who are trapped in sin. We need to help one another in this way. Forgiveness is not, well, forgiveness in one sense is an unconditional thing. We do it, period. But for, can, graciously forgiving one another means that we've dealt with the issue. We've confronted the issue. We have uh, recognized that there is an issue. We've talked it over. There has been a, a the, the conditions of forgiveness have been met, and we'll see that in just a moment. But we, we, we do this, as he says, just as the Lord graciously forgave you. Do you realize that our greatest need as humans, 
as men and women, boys and girls, it's not for our daily bread. It's not for our uh, uh, education. It's not for our marriage. It's not for our uh, financial well-being. It's not for our uh, American citizenship or anything like that. Our greatest need in life period is forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. We need, we must have God's forgiveness. If we don't, we are done. We are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We will be under God's condemnation, not just for a week or a month or a year or, you know, a lifelong thing. Forever we'll be outside of God's grace. We need God to forgive us. And he has for those in Christ. The Lord has graciously forgiven you. You didn't deserve it. You were a filthy, rotten, dirty sinner. You did everything wrong. And you denied God his right place in your life. And yet he was so, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we had enmity, being, being at war against God, he said, Psalm 46, cease striving, put down your weapons. What in the world are you fighting me for? Know that I am God. I will be exalted in the heavens. I forget how that verse goes on for Psalm 46.10, I think it is. And he says, stop it. Relax. Not just relax. Rest in my salvation. Rest in my grace. Don't be, why? Jesus said to Paul, why do you kick against the goads? You know how uncomfortable that is? Even if he had steel-toed boots, which he didn't. Kicking against goads, you know, sharp pointy sticks, you, you, you stub, stub your toe on a, a chair, it hurts. How about having a pointy thing? Ouch. Paul, why are you doing this? Why are you fighting against me, persecuting me? And thankfully, Paul was reconciled to God and received that forgiveness, even though he never got over the fact, I persecuted the church of God. I am not even worthy to be called a, an apostle, a Christian. I, I am the chief of sinners as far as I'm concerned. I am the wretched one. I am the one that needs God's mercy the most. If God is able to, and he has, forgive those things, can't we forgive one another? Toast was burned. Do you realize back in the first century, one of the reasons why the, the uh, de- depending on which rabbinical school of thought you would, you'd follow regarding marriage and divorce, one, one uh, rabbi would teach, even if your wife uh, burns the toast, that's grounds for divorce. Really? What about the husband burning the toast or, or not even buying the toast or forgetting to vacuum the floor? Is that a cause for divorce? I mean, I mean, I, do you realize offenses come? Didn't Jesus himself say, Matthew 18, it is inevitable, which is to say, it's not, not going to happen. Can we say it that way? It's always going to happen for stumbling blocks to come. What's a stumbling block? Something that causes offense, some cause for sinning, some cause, cause for, for breaking apart. Like verse 14 says that we uh, have this bond of unity, a perfect bond of unity. Well, guess what sin does? It destroys that. It militates against that. God has forgiven us so we can forgive other people. We can graciously do this. We need to forgive each other. We receive God's forgiveness and then we forgive each other. Because God has forgiven me, then I can forgive other people. In fact, Jesus told many parables about that or had uh, the, the, uh, the actions of that. Remember the lady who came in Luke 7 and, and uh, anointed Jesus' feet and all that. And the, the Pharisee who was there said, well, if Jesus knew the kind of person this is, he wouldn't have even let her touch her. Let him touch her. 
let her touch him. There you go. Um, I, Jesus said, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, granted she is a notorious sinner, they have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's forgiven little, Mr. Rabbi so-and-so, loves little. You don't think you need forgiveness for anything. You've got it all figured out. Your ducks are in a row. You've met all the criteria. Check, check, check. No. And you don't love me, which kind of comes down to it. We don't love Christ if we realize, if we think, rather, that somehow I don't need as much forgiveness as somebody else over there. I am not a murderer. Do you remember that Pharisee praying, uh, Lord, I thank you that I'm, you know, do all these wonderful things. There's a, a prayer even that says, Lord, thank you that I'm not a, a, a Gentile, a tax collector, or a woman. You think, wait a minute. God, thank you for what? What? You think that somehow that you're a, a male, that somehow you have more special favor before God? No. You are just as sinful as anybody else in this world, just as much in need of a Savior as anybody else. So if Christ has saved us, we can rescue, we can forgive other people. Forgiveness, as I said, sometimes follows confrontation. If we can't just overlook it, we've got to confront it. We've got to speak this this um, terms of correction or, or helping that brother or sister recognize there's a problem here. And it's not so much about me. The issue is not me. The issue is you. And it's not me casting judgment upon you. Let's look to the scriptures and see, okay, this is what the scripture says, but this is what I've seen you, not just on a one-time or one-off thing. You know, again, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they stubbed their toe. Maybe whatever happened. But if you see a consistent pattern, like Galatians 6.1, somebody who's trapped in that sin, that they don't recognize that they're in it or that that you observe them on a, on a repeated basis, that that's something that characterizes their life, what other people call a life-dominating sin or transgression, then we can go bringing the word of God to bear on that issue. Not to not to browbeat, not to make us look better because, I mean, good grief. If you look carefully at me and not even so, don't quit your looking at me. No, if we looked at each other, we'd recognize we all need a savior. We have no reason to boast, no reason to be proud, no reason to say, you know, I, I, I'm doing all right today. Always run to Christ. Always find your strength in him. When I am weak, Paul had to come to realize, when I am weak, then he is strong in my life. doesn't mean that I don't try. I mean, all these commands we see in Galatians 3 means we need to, to buck up. We need to act out our salvation. But this, this basis of forgiveness that we graciously, kindly, uh, and beneficially, generously forgive each other, this word is not the typical word that Paul or uh, Paul, but even Jesus uses, or the gospel writers use a different word that, that means the same thing. But this, this word here, graciously forgiving, comes from the word grace, Greek word grace. And so we show grace to another, not because you deserve it. No, that's the exact opposite. If you deserve it, that that's not grace. That's what you earned. But if I give you what you didn't earn, in fact, everything you have done argues against me giving you this, that's grace. That's graciously forgiving. That is just doing what God has done for me, I'm doing for you. He says we should graciously forgive each other. We should bear with one another. This is a mutual thing. This is not something that, hey, y'all, you know, just, I need to forgive you. And and that's just the way it is. No, you need to forgive me sometimes, which is to say, I need your forgiveness. And it's a mutual thing, always, always sharing this reality that we sin and we are sinned against. Always. All the time. Jesus again. He said, it's inevitable for these causes to sin to come. And yet, 
I didn't finish the verse, that he says, it would be better for somebody who causes somebody to sin, especially a, a young person of mine, that he were tied to a heavy stone and cast into the middle of the sea. He was standing by the Sea of Galilee, most likely, when he said that. And he said it would be better to die than to cause, to lead somebody else to sin. And that is to say, well, wait a minute, why should my sin affect somebody else to sin? Because that other person isn't doing what the scripture says here. They are taking offense at every provocation, at every slight, at every offense, and they will then respond negatively. Now, I'm not responsible for them, but for me, for me to put that kind of a stumbling block in, the, in front of my brother, that's wrong. Which is to say, again, to make it very clear, I should do everything in my power to live a godly life. Always seeking God first. I don't want to put anything in as a stumbling block for other people. Words, attitudes, even a, a raising of the eyebrow, looking at somebody. My father-in-law used to say to my mother-in-law, how do he say it? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I think that's what he said. That's funny. Um, <clears throat> repentance is so crucial. Why do we say that? Because forgiveness, when we have not just a, a, a willingness, a readiness to forgive, but a transactional forgiveness, something that has to be a, a two-part thing, there needs to be a repentance. If this really is an issue, if this really is something that is wrong in God's sight, not just in my preferences, but in God's sight, I can look at chapter and verse and say, what you did, what you said was wrong then repentance is the solution. To repent, to turn from that, not to continue and say, oh, I didn't mean to do it. Oh, fine, oh, we're, we're good then. No, that was a sin that needs to be turned away from, renounced, uh, uh, removed from our lives, to repent. Uh, Jeremiah 36 says, this is amazing. We're reading Lamentations now, but Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, said, said, uh, you know, he, he's speaking this word of grace, of mercy, of judgment, but of grace. And he says, Jeremiah 36 and verse 3, Perhaps, perhaps, maybe, the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. But what is God's forgiveness dependent upon? Them turning away from his evil way. Wow. Repenting is, is a key thing. Jesus uh, has said other things that we should forgive. I'm, I'm speaking... Jesus, in his word, he says that we ought to um, uh, confess our sins. Well, confession is the next thing. Repentance is, is, is fundamental. A change of heart toward that sin recognizes that's wrong, but then admitting it, confessing it one to another. Uh, the psalmist says, Psalm 25 and verse 11, For your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. It's not just a little thing. I didn't, I didn't just sin a little bit. No. Whatever, any sin is a transgression of God's holy law. And I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. Pardon my iniquity, O Lord, O Yahweh, for it is great. Forgive all my sins, he says later in that verse. Even Daniel, Daniel the prophet, of whom it was said, that's a righteous fellow there. You want to see what righteousness looks like? Look at Daniel's life. There's never, never, never anything negative truly said about Daniel. In fact, even the those other three greedy guys said, you know, we can't find any fault with this guy, Daniel, unless it pertains to his relationship with his God. So let's try to make that relationship, his relationship with God illegal, because then we can kill him. No, even Daniel in Daniel 9, you read that prayer that, that Daniel utters, he confesses that his own sins 
and the sins of, of his people. And he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. We need your forgiveness. We confess our need. And so when we want to have forgiveness one to another, me toward you, you toward me, there needs to be that repentance, a renunciation. Yes, that was wrong. I confess. I admit my error, my fault. That was wrong. I don't want to do that to you again. Sometimes we need an intercessor because, you know, we, we go to our brother and he doesn't listen to us. Well, Matthew 18, uh, verse 16 says, well, if he doesn't listen to you, then take along a couple of the witnesses so that every fact may be confirmed. What are we confirming? What are we doing? We're trying to bring this brother who has sinned, according to God's word, not just my preferences. It's not just my, my feathers have been ruffled, but God's word has been violated. Then we bring another couple witnesses to help this rescue operation. If they don't listen to them, if the, if the sinning brother does not listen to him, you tell it to the church, and then the whole church is mobilized, not just me individually, not just me with a couple others, but the whole church goes after the sinning brother to rescue him. Not, you know, we're, we're looking forward to uh, condemning him and getting him out of the church. We're just looking for reason. You know, I'm praying that he would leave the church. No, we go and ask the person, would you repent? Would you confess your sin? And if they don't listen even to the church, then you... Don't regard them as a brother in Christ anymore. Doesn't mean, oh, good, now we can kick them in the shins and punch them in the nose. No, we regard them as unbelievers. And what do we do with unbelievers? We evangelize them. We share the gospel with them. They're not believers. They're not listening to the word of their master, of their good shepherd. Uh, Jesus said, John 10, that my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Wow, that person's not listening to their shepherd. They're outside of Christ's fold. We need to regard them not as brothers, but as potential brothers who might repent. And maybe they won't. Who knows? God is the one who does that. But sometimes there need to be, needs to be an intercessor to help us in this way. What is forgiveness? We've talked all about it. But what is forgiveness? If we were to boil it all down, and lest I, again, go past my allotted, my wholly allotted time, I want to summarize it just a little bit. Forgiveness is, I'm quoting from uh, John MacArthur, his book on uh, forgiveness, which is titled the, the Freedom and Power of Forgiveness, I believe is the title of that book. And he said, forgiveness is a voluntary, rational decision to set aside the, set the offense aside and desire only the best for myself, for the offender. What did he just say? It is a voluntary, so I'm doing it based on what I want to. It is a rational decision, not based on emotions, because emotions can lead us quickly to the side. Ah, you know, about that man of discretion is slow to anger and uh, all the all the wonderful things about not being quick to anger. No, it is a rational, uh, a deliberate choice. It's voluntary. It means it's volitional. It's rational. It means if I think about it. And it's setting aside the offense and desiring only the best, the best for the offender. What about me? Who's, who's going to think about me? We don't think about you. We think of how can we rescue the offender? How can we help this person not continue in their sin? There's a danger for them in this life and the next. If they don't confess their sins, if they continue in this path, it is danger. It is destruction. Are they going to heaven? That's in God's. And he's the one that separates the wheat and the tares, and we talked about that already. But he knows what is best. We do our part confronting sin, in our own lives, first of all, it's Matthew 7. Jesus says, uh, don't you know, judge not that you not be judged. But he says, get that log out of your eye so you can see and get that little speck that's in your neighbor's eye. Evaluate yourself. Consider yourself carefully. Forgiveness is then uh, this rational 
a voluntary, rational decision. Well, what are we deciding? Four things. And this comes also from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. I'm quoting him. He says, one of the promises, one of the the decisions, one of the statements, the affirmations, the, the confirmations of saying, when, when I say I forgive you, this is what I mean. I will not dwell on this incident, which is to say, I'm not going to rehearse this thing in my mind. I'm not going to relive this transgression, this violation, how I was offended, all the ways that my feelings were hurt and trampled on. Wait a minute. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to nurse that little stinkweed because what's going to, it's going to grow into a plant that's a stinky plant. I don't want, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to take my morning meditations and, and look both at God's word and my journal of transgressions that I have written down everything that I have suffered in these last 25 years. No. I will not dwell on this incident. A second promise. I will not mention this incident to you, to you again to use it against you. Doesn't mean that we might not talk about it. Hey, remember that time 10 years ago when this happened? But it, we're, we're not bringing up to accuse you because we've already dealt with it. And if we haven't, then we deal with it today. Right? Ephesians 4, 28, is it? From 25 to 32, it talks about this idea that we want to, don't let the sun go down your anger, right? Solve today's problems. When? Well, how about today? Before the sun goes down. So if you haven't dealt with something, you've tried to overlook it, but it's something that continually pops into your mind and it stifles. It's like a stranglehold on your relationship. You need to deal with it, like today. But if we, if we have come to forgiveness, we say, I will not mention this to use it against you. Do you realize how many, and I haven't counted, but if you were to realize or look at how many marriage-type seminars or marriage-type restoration ministries have been founded by people whose marriage was almost shattered, and yet God and somehow brought them back together, restored their marriage, and now they will go about teaching other people around the nation, around the world, how God helped them work through these issues that they went through. Now, they'll talk specifically about an argument they had 15 years ago, but they don't use it against one another. They use it as a teaching device. So notice it says, I will not mention this incident to you again to use it against you, like you know, bringing out our, our, our favorite weapons or our favorite clubs to beat each other over, over with. Second or thirdly, it says, I will not talk to others about this incident unless it's helpful, unless we've agreed, you know, we're going to share our story because other people can be blessed. They can be benefited, benefited by what we have learned through trials, through these difficulties, through sin, violations of each other. So when we say, uh, I forgive, we're not going to gossip. We're not going to tell people who have no, no reason to know these intimate details of our marriage or our life or family or coworkers or whatever. Fourthly, it says, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. And we think, okay, I might be able to do the first one or maybe two. This final one? What? I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Don't you realize how many marriages have been broken? Okay, I'll forgive you, but I'm never going to be your husband or be your wife again. Don't you realize that if we forgive each other just as God has forgiven us, then that means reconciliation. That means restoration. Now, I know the asterisk, exclamation marks, you're saying, what about this? What about that? What about that? I'm just saying, generally speaking, when we forgive, if so far as it depends upon us, I'm thinking of Psalm 120, I'm for peace. But when I speak, Lord, they're for war. 
Everything I do just seems to be turn us. I'm trying to be gracious here. I'm trying to be forbearing and patient and, and all this. And they're, they don't want it. Well, that's where we go to the Matthew 18. Don't regard him as a, as a brother in Christ. Treat him as an out, outsider, out, unbeliever and evangelize. Call them to Christ. Find their, find their identity in him. But sometimes in whatever kind of relationships we want, let me say it this way. Our ultimate goal always is restoration, always a reconciliation, always a bringing back together. But you know, even the scripture identifies, Proverbs 18, verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel, which means sometimes you try to break through, not for uh, destruction or, or revenge or that kind of thing, but try to break through for, for rescue, for redemption. Sometimes it's so hard. Because it's not, it's a two-party thing. If it were all about me, oh, mercy, if it were all about me, God help me. I want to love. I want to show grace. I want to show kindness. I want to forgive. Lord, help me. But when there are two people involved, ugh, it's just so hard to try to figure these things out. Uh, the scripture would uh, remember, remind us, look, if we have any conflicts, it, in fact, it said in that verse, if any, how did it say? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, that word complaint can be used to talk about an obligation, a debt, some kind of a, a cause for blame or finding fault with one another. If there's anything like that, we need to uh, forgive. We need to address these issues. If we were to say, you know, I, I just can't do this. I can't commit to these four promises. And again, these four promises are made up by Ken Sandy, but they're derived from the, from the, um, the scripture and how he talks about it. There's even, I didn't put it on the screen here, but there's a, a children's summary of this, these fourfold promise, and he says this first idea, I will not dwell, it's good thought. Good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, and the fourth one is friends forever. Good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. Do you know, when we deal with forgiveness, sometimes there are consequences, for your sin, I've forgiven you. I have promised all these things. As far as I'm concerned, we are reconciled. But you know, there are some consequences for your uh, sin. There are consequences for your uh, disobedience to God, your uh, resolve to violate his terms of, of holiness and so forth. And we want to uh, pursue a reconciliation. But you know, it's a two-party thing. We want to desire the best for each party. We want to practice what is the best for each party. Sometimes uh, there needs to be a timeline, an agreement of, okay, we need to we need to restore we need to restore this relationship. It's not just me; it's we are working on this. We need to have a plan. Okay, what does it look like for this relationship, this marriage, this parent-child thing, this this potential courtship idea? What what's it look like to continue in these things? What are our expectations going forward? You expect a certain thing. I expect a certain thing. How can we agree? What can we specify that would be helpful? Are we going to reconcile? Well, that's, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I want to be reconciled to you. Let's, let's see how that's going to work out. Do you desire this? Do you desire this restoration of relationship? We want to reaffirm love. We want to, in fact, one person said it. Maybe it's not to restore the relationship, but it is to restart the relationship. Let's start from scratch. Let's, let's, Let's let's just see how this thing can go. Now, one person has said it this way. You know, somebody says, I can't love my wife. Well, okay. Scripture says that you should love, you know, husbands love your wives. Well, I can't love her as my wife. Okay. Can you, would you admit that she's a believer in Christ? Well, then you can love your 
brother in Christ then. Even if you can't love her as a wife, you can love her as a Christian. Well, I, you know, I don't really know that she's a Christian anymore because X, Y, and Z. Well, okay, can you maybe uh, under uh, love her as a neighbor? Because, you know, love your neighbor as the second commandment. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, she is my nearest neighbor, but she's so mean. Or let me just put it this way. He's so mean. Whatever the situation is, well, you mean that you regard her as an enemy? Okay, yeah, I do regard her as an enemy. Okay, Jesus says, love your enemies. So the point is, there's no excuse for us not to love. No excuse, ever. Does that mean we, mean we may be offended, may be slighted, may be injured ourselves? If we're injured ourselves, we can bear it. God will help us. If we see somebody else being injured, we need to step in and help that other person. If we see that brother who's sinning, that's dangerous for him. We need to go and help that brother. Again, this is not motivated out of righteousness, you know, personal self-righteousness, not motivated out of uh, violence or, or uh, revenge or, or wanting to expose the person. It is based in love. It is based in concern. What do we read in verse 12? Uh, compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience with each other. What do, what, do you, what do you do if somebody that you have offended refuses to forgive you? We'll end with this idea. Because we've, we've thought about all those different times that other people have offended us, sinned against us, violated us. What about us violating other people? And we've gone to them and we've asked, you know, I, re- I know I did what was wrong. I don't want to do that anymore. I repent. I confess that. Will you please forgive me? What if they don't? Well, you, you come back. You do a few things. You verify. Did you truly repent? You know, there's this wonderful saying, and I wish I could develop Luke 17. Read Luke 17, just the first I don't know, 10 verses or so. Because Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times and comes back and you says, I repent, then you forgive him. You say, what in the world? Seven times? And you know the disciples' response? Increase our faith, Lord. We, you're asking things beyond our ability. And you have to read the story that Jesus said in relation to it, which basically undercuts any excuse that we have to forgive. This brother sins against me seven times, right? Seven times. And I'm supposed to, based on their profession, saying, I repent, then we're supposed to forgive. Read what Jesus says in Luke 17. Verify your repentance. Confirm and repeat your request for forgiveness. Maybe they didn't understand what you were asking the first time or the second time or third time. Make sure that you understand or they understand you are asking for them to forgive you. If, if nothing happens, pray. Pray for God to change hearts. Offer grace to them. As far as you're concerned, you want the relationship to be restored, to be rescued, to be uh, a, a story of God's redemption. Offer grace. Offer uh, kindness to the other person. If there are consequences that you need to accept for your actions, which I, I raise a whole can of worms about this, but divorce, separation uh, is not always out of the question. If there are uh, a continued string of abuses, I'm thinking of the Declaration of Independence, right? That there is... There, there are consequences for people's sin. In an, in an ideal, wonderful, God-blessed world, we'd all get along, but we don't. And there's ruination and despair all over the place. So we accept consequences. For our actions, we hope that the other person will accept the consequences of their actions. But ultimately, what do we do? We do just like Jesus did when he was being slighted, when he was being mocked and abused and persecuted and scorned and crucified. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. God will figure all this out. He will mete out his judgment. He will mete out his punishment. He will mete out his um, 
his just decision at the right time, and I'll rest in that. I don't understand how this is all going to work out. I wish that things were different, but man, sin is just a tricky thing. It, it is violent. It is destructive. It is death. And so we long for grace. We need grace. We need God to forgive each of us, and therefore we can we can forgive each other. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your forgiveness. We need it. We need it every day. We need this forgiveness uh, that is ours, a, a, a salvation or a sanctification, a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But this is a gift righteousness. It's a gift holiness, not because we've earned it or, or uh, done so many good things or not done so many bad things in our lives, but only what Christ has done for us, dying in our place, bearing our penalty, becoming sin for us. Because we have been forgiven, we ought to be the most forgiving people in the world. Please help us to do that. Please help us not to be offended. Please help us to uh, forget ourselves. But only think of other people. What, what danger is there for this other person to continue in their sin? Or what danger is he causing or she causing to other people or to the testimony of Christ in his church and in this world? We pray that we'd have bigger concerns than just our own personal feelings and, and rights. Uh, we pray that we'd be agents of your reconciliation, not just between people, but between people and you, individuals, and you, the God Most High. Please help us to not be self-righteous or proud or arrogant or think that we're somehow better than anybody else. We all need a Savior. We all need forgiveness. We all need your gift, righteousness. Please help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.